You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, Paul says to Timothy, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things that are assertions. Would you please pray with me? <coughs> Father, Father, we just ask that you would come speak through the preaching of your word to us this morning. Lord, one of the things that I think that we uh, have a tendency to fall into is thinking that somehow our time in music is worship and then somehow when we get into studying the scriptures and even taking communion, that somehow that's divorced from that. And yet, God, you've made us as creatures of worship. You've given us this capacity deep down inside to have our hearts focused, desiring, wanting something. And that, Father, I know is the essence of what it means to worship. So, Father, as we come to your word, help us to be worshipers of you. Use the preaching of your word this morning, Father, I ask to to create a deep desire and a want to know you and not just want to know more about you. Make us worshipers as we look at your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So uh, in the verses that that I just read, um, Paul comes right out of the gate uh, with a really urgent instruction, right? Really urgent instruction for Timothy and for the people uh, in in the Ephesian church. Um, His instruction is simple. It's not not hard. You don't have to do a whole bunch of like language linguistics to get down to the bottom of the root foundation of what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's basically telling Timothy and the church not to tolerate false teachers in their church family. Pretty simple, pretty basic. But as I read it, and as I study it, and as I just sit in that passage, man, I, I like feel the urgency of, of Paul's instructions to Timothy. Like there is an urgent feeling to what he is saying here. I can feel the urgency in the way that he gives the instruction. I can feel the, the urgency in the way that he gives the reasons and the motivation for what he is saying too. In verses 3 through 4 and 6 through 7, we see the instructions from Paul to Timothy, right? Paul instructs Timothy uh, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths, endless genealogies. Now, the certain persons that that Paul is talking about um, here were leaders in the Ephesian church. Um, They had swerved away from the regular study and the regular application and the regular preaching of the gospel. They had, as Paul says, wandered away into vain 
discussion. Desiring to be teachers of the law. Desiring to be somebody important. Without actually understanding either what they were saying or the things about which they made confident assertions. So, so Paul tells Timothy to confront these people, not to tolerate them. Right? He doesn't say you tolerate this, he says you confront this. Paul's doctrine, um, if you do some study of Paul's doctrine throughout the letters that he's written, uh, it's clear and it's consistent. Uh, there's one place, I think, where Peter says, man, when you read Paul's writings, man, the boy can carry on and on. And it can be kind of hard to understand sometimes. Because he loves run-on sentences and he loves big words, but at the end of the day, when you, you study Paul's writings, all the other churches throughout his letters, his message is consistent and clear. Uh, to the Romans and to the Philippians. He proclaimed that he wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of salvation and sanctification. To the Corinthians, he reminded them that the message of the gospel or the good news of salvation was the explicit message that all of his teachings were founded on. Very clear about this. To the Galatian church, he was astonished, was bewildered, caught off guard for the message of the gospel. To the Ephesians, in the letter to the Ephesians that we just studied, he warned them not to be deceived by empty words of sons disobedience. He also instructed the Philippians to live lives that were worthy of the gospel. He told the church at Colossae in his letter to the Colossians, he told them that he proclaimed the gospel to them, warning them and teaching them with all wisdom. Why? So that they would become mature believers in Christ. The Thessalonians, and you look at Thessalonians, more letters that Paul wrote to churches that he ministered in and planted. He told the Thessalonians that he had labored day and night to share not only the message of the gospel in word and in deed, labored hard to share his life with them so that they would be encouraged to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. So you see, if you look at Paul's writings, his message is clear and it's consistent. So it's no surprise to me here as we come to 1 Timothy that Paul is urgently instructing Timothy and the church at Ephesus to confront false teachers in their midst. You see, these false teachers were were most likely, I think, as you study this, they were probably most likely not explicitly preaching a false gospel. I don't think it would have been so in your face that it was false that you would have just been like, false teacher, throw him out. Okay, I think if you study the wording that Paul uses here and the way that he goes about it, which is what we're going to do here, I think you'll find they're not explicitly preaching a different gospel. They're preaching a different gospel for sure, but it may not be very explicit, which is important for us. I think they were probably just teaching a Jesus plus this or that kind of theology. Uh, I, 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 here's the way I think it might have sounded. I think it might have sounded something like this. If they would have come to you, it would have sounded something like, yeah. Yeah, yeah Jesus is your Savior. Yeah, that's right. 
He died for your sins. His, his blood was shed. His body was broken. He died on a cross. The tomb is empty. Sure, yeah, I get it. The simple gospel message. You can be saved. That's the message of the gospel. I believe that right along with you, brother, right along with you, sister. That's all fine and dandy. It's probably great for baby believers to listen to, to grow up in. Maybe it's great for uh, maybe some older believers to study so that they can, you know, uh, reminisce. I can tell you, like, you're, you're, you're a little bored with the preaching and the teaching and the study of the gospel. You're a little bored with that. So uh, maybe, maybe we should add something to that. Maybe we should go study the genealogies. Maybe we should go study um, uh, maybe the old Mosaic Law, because I'm pretty sure I could teach you a lot about how the Mosaic Law connects to everything. And it would teach you how to live more morally if we did that. And in fact, while we're doing that, maybe we could just take a look at the book of Enoch while we're there. Do you see the easy slide? This happens in churches all over the place today. This happens to us easily. I mean, think about it. We have a very real enemy. Last thing Satan wants for you and I is for us to have a gospel-centered life, right? The number one thing that Satan would want was for us to give in to false teaching somehow. I imagine this is something close to what was happening in Ephesus and what Paul instructs Timothy and the Ephesian church to do is to confront any tries to set themselves up as teachers. What does he say? He says that their conversations are pointless. Conversation. Understand what they're saying, even though they act like they do. They don't understand what they are saying, even though they're so confident. Don't you? As you, as you feel the intensity of what Paul is saying, you have to ask why. Like, like, why, Paul? Why are you so concerned about this? Why are you so urgent with this? Why would Paul actually instruct Timothy and the church in Ephesus to pick a fight? He's actually instructing them to start a fight, right? Get into some conflict. Anybody th think conflict is fun? Probably two of us. I kind of enjoy conflict sometimes. Yeah, there's two, maybe three, there's a third. Anybody else want to? There's only three of us in this room that like conflict. It's probably a good thing because we'd probably be a mess if all of us like conflict here, right? <coughs> so the rest of y'all that don't like conflict, keep the three of us in check. We're not just picking fights all the time. I mean, the first thought that comes to my mind, though, is, man, like, church wouldn't be very fun if you're picking conflict. And let me just say, like, if you think that church is meant to be fun in the first place, you probably have a misguided perception on what the church is supposed to be in the first place. That would be some false teaching deep inside of me. You know, the church should be fun. You following me? Simple and easy. Yeah, Jesus, I believe that. Let's make it fun, too. That, that's probably one of the ways that I think we do this, at least in this day and age. Start to do the Jesus plus something message. This is where we, when you ask that why question, why is Paul making a big deal out of this? I think that's where you get the reasons and the motivation for the instruction. The reasons and the motivation for the instruction. You see this in verse 4. Paul says that if you buy into a teaching that is Jesus plus anything else, then you are promoting what? Look at verse 4. 
You're going to be promoting speculations rather than stewardship. You know, spe speculations are basically questions. One of the things that Satan did in the garden, if you go back to the book of Genesis, is basically like, man, did God really say that to you? One of my favorite authors, don't take this out of context, one of my favorite authors um, is a guy named Rob, because he's an absolute heretic. And in fact, he knows it so much that he actually came out with a documentary and called himself a heretic. When you read his writings, he's so good at asking questions, questioning what the truth is, and doing it in such a way that it's really subversive, and he questions things that are really, really important for the gospel, and then at some point denies them. Not outright, not outright, mind you, because that would be too in your face, but very subvertively. And there's many just like him. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, I can't believe he just named somebody from the pulpit. Right? Hang in there. Speculations rather than the stewardship from God. Stewardship is what gets sacrificed when we give in to false teaching that just promotes speculation. Speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And he also moves on. He says that the motivation or the aim of his instruction is what? It's love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So let me just work through it again. Speculation rather than stewardship. That's what gets promoted. Uh, fresh ideas rather than refreshing faith is what gets promoted. These are the reasons. This is the motivation that Paul says we should not tolerate false teachers. This is the fruit that's going to get produced in a church and in your life if we tolerate False teaching. And then the motivation behind those reasons, according to Paul, simply is love, purity of heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Those four things. The false teachers in Ephesus had heart issues. And they had heart issues that needed to be addressed. And Paul, what Paul's doing is he's drawing a great big fat bullseye right on their hearts. And by implication, he's, right, he's drawing a big fat bullseye right on the hearts of all of his listeners by doing this. Because you can't go clean specks out of other people's eyes when you've got logs in your own. Right? So the false teachers in Ephesus follow this. They did not have hearts that were full of love for God. That love aspect. The aim of this is love, Paul says. They did not have hearts that were full of love for God or love for the gospel or love for their brothers or love for their city or love for their neighborhood. People had love for themselves and nothing else. They were self-seeking. They were self-serving. They wanted to be seen as important leaders. They wanted to stand in front of the congregation and say, look at me and how much I know. That was their entire desire. Have purity of heart. Hearts are filthy with pride. It was no longer enough for them. Let's go talk about genealogies. Let's talk about the law. Let's not apply the gospel to our hearts this week. Their stance. Their consciences were seared. Their hearts were hardened. They were turning a deaf ear to their pastor's 
gospel to preach week in and week out. The Apostle Paul had preached many years that were rising up from within were and stubborn. Their faith was sincere. Their faith as false as their teaching. That's what Paul's saying. What Paul's doing is he's instructing Timothy and the church family to confront these false teachers because their teaching was mere speculation shrouded in worthless confidence. That kind of teaching would infect the entire flock with a false notion of what love really is and a false notion of what pure desires really are, a false notion of what uh, a clean, and a false notion of what true faith is. I think here's the question that if we know this about the text, right, if you know these things about this, you've got to ask yourself this question. Where am I right now? Where am I? replacing the importance of the gospel with something else. Just write that down. Just stop now. Don't miss that question. Where am I replacing the importance of the gospel with something else? Another way of asking the question would be to ask, what consumes the affections of your heart the most? It could be simple. be a seemingly small little thing like trying to fix your spouse. Jesus plus fixing my spouse for the glory of God. You may never actually say that, but we get so used to thinking that way. Go on a crusade, fix my spouse for the glory of God. How much trouble would that get you into? How glorifying to God would that actually be? Um, Might be trying to climb the corporate ladder for the glory of God so I can have more money and live better. I give more away to the church, of course. You catch how this, it's easy. You're trying to get your political ducks in a row for the glory of God, trying to win the latest social justice argument on social media for the glory of God, or even a preoccupation with amassing wealth in the name of the Lord, or seeking the most entertaining experience in a church. Glory of God, of course. Follow me? Like the Jesus plus anything message is deceptive. It's deceptive. And the thing about deception is that it's hard to tell, which is why we need the spirit of truth. Right? I think that's what makes Paul's burden uh, for the church such a timely message for us. Because when you look at Paul here, what you see is a man who carries a burden for the church. It was burdened for the people in Ephesus. He was concerned. This was an urgent thing for him and i think i think for the apostle paul i think he was concerned now you have to take a, a journey with me through scripture here so put your thinking caps on for a minute <coughs> which was like my mom's favorite phrase when she homeschooled us put your thinking caps on any teachers in the audience that probably say the same things a few of you smiling at me but i know you do this um put your thinking caps on for a minute I think Paul is concerned that the Ephesians would abandon their love for the Lord. Why? He'd be concerned for that. Well, the Apostle John wrote about this in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Write that down. That's a good passage to go to and just double check. Don't just take what I'm saying as truth. Go check it out and make sure what I'm saying is true, right? Revelation 2. 
The Apostle John issued a, a stern warning to the Ephesians. And his warning was simply this. Have this against you, says the Lord. You've abandoned your first love. I also think the Apostle Paul's burden uh, for the people in Ephesus was, was rooted in something he had also said, not just what John said in Revelation 2, but what Paul himself had said to the Ephesian elders and the Ephesian church. So Paul met with the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, and then he wrote the entire book of Ephesians to the Ephesian church. So now he's writing to the pastor of the Ephesian church. What does this tell you? It's like, man, the Ephesian church got some issues, right? How many times is Paul going to write to them? A bunch. You look at Acts 20, Paul warns the Ephesian elders to do what? Keep a close watch on themselves and on the people in the church. Why? Because false teachers, wolves, would rise up from within their ranks. We always see threats as something coming from the outside. That other church, that false teacher out there, that wolf out there. Paul is saying they're going to rise up from within. They're going to be dudes you know. Rise up from within their ranks. They would speak twisted things. Why? To draw away the disciples. Clear warning from Paul to the elders. He also then in Ephesians 5, 6-8 warns them, the entire church at Ephesus, don't listen to deceptive words spoken by sons of disobedience. Why? Because of the wrath of God their reward is. The wrath of God is the reward for rebellion. I think the Apostle Paul has been after this for quite a while. Now if you get back to 1 Timothy again, now we've just taken this journey through Scripture, right? You come back to 1 Timothy. Now just go back to chapter 1 and go to the end of chapter 1 and, and look at verses uh, 18, 19, 20. We're going to get there here in a few weeks, but if you just go there, man, it, it's an absolute mind-bender to read. It says that, by rejecting his message, Paul says, like, there are some guys that would have rejected my message. And for those of them that rejected my message, they've actually shipwrecked their faith. It's not like the people who made shipwreck of their faith in the Ephesian church were faceless or nameless people. Paul actually names them. He actually names them. Look at it in verse 20. He names them Hymenaeus and Alexander. And the rest of the church would have recalled their faces immediately. I knew them. I was friends with them. I thought they were good guys. These men spoke twisted things, and they rejected Paul's message, and they sought to draw the disciples away from Paul's ministry. And because of this, what does Paul do? He reminds them in verse 20, this is a heavy thing, that he literally threw them out of the church for their rebellion. That's, you don't see that in churches very often today. And I, I would add caveat that the ones that you do see, and I think often do it so stinking poorly, that they, they hurt people in the wrong way. Like this is an authority that is given to the church and her leaders to protect the flock together, right? So that's heavy stuff. I have to say this whole last week is I, would come home in the evenings after saying this passage, I would tell Chrissy, man, this is a, this is a tough one. Like, this is a tough one to preach. This is, a, this is heavy. There's nothing light about this. And she was like, yeah, this always 
right? You get all excited, preach through a book. You're like, it's going to be so good. The first couple of verses, you're like, crap, how did I do this? Right? <laughs> so I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm with you in this journey, right? What I'm trying to say is like, even I, I have desires in my heart to just have lighthearted things rather than the heavy truths of God's word. How much of a false teacher is that living inside of me? Right? So I, I need this confrontation just as much as everybody else does, maybe just in different ways. I don't know. So let me get to this question. Why does this matter, okay? So you woke up this morning. You got out of bed. You took your shower. You took a shower and put some deodorant on. And, you know, you put your clothes on, which thankfully everybody here has clothes on, so that's good. And, and you came to church, right? You came to gather with the rest of the church. You know, you got up. Maybe it was a tough night last night. I don't know. Uh, maybe you got out of bed late this morning. I don't know. Maybe when you got up and you're like trying to get your kids ready to go and it was just crazy. Maybe on the way to church you're just arguing with your spouse or your significant other and you walk in the door and you, you, know, you put the, 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 you know, the Christian F face on. Fine. That Christian F face. <laughs> Settle down, y'all. Jeez Louise. All right? Golly. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know where you're at. <laughs> you had trouble at your work this week. You come in here with all those things on your back, right? And you're like, okay, we're going to have a message about false teaching. How does this apply? Why does this matter? Why is this important to you right where you're at this week? Question I think you ask. <clears throat> I'd say Paul's heart is definitely burdened for the people in Ephesus. I'd say my heart is burdened. My heart's burdened for us. My heart's burdened for us. My heart is burdened for the people in our city. I'm concerned, listen, that in our boredom and in our reckless pace of life and in our preoccupation with entertainment and in our numbness to sin, we have wandered away from the power of the gospel. Would you just take a minute and write those categories down and just see which one you fall into? Let me say it again. This is my concern. And I want you to hear this because I think it's really important. <clears throat> Four categories, I think. Boredom. Are you bored this morning? Reckless pace of life, man. Are, are you just running a reckless pace of life that cannot be sustained? About preoccupation with entertainment? Are you just glued to your phone and your TV? Video games, whatever it might be? About your numbness to sin? Are you numb to sin? When's the last time you confronted sin deep down inside your heart? When was the last time sitting in gospel community on a Sunday or a Wednesday night, that you actually got deep down inside and told the real story of the sin that has been controlling you for so long? When was the last time you did that? Like, those are the four categories working in my head that concerns me, because when I see those four things inside of a flock of people, it concerns me that if we continue that way, we will have wandered away from the power of the gospel. My concern is the same as Paul. I think we need to ask the Spirit of God to examine our heart. We need to ask the Spirit of God to see if there is evidence of a selfish love and a hardness of heart an impure conscience or false faith. Spirit, please come now and reveal to me, is there a place inside of me where I'm full of selfish love rather than authentic love? Where I'm full of a hardness of heart instead of a purity of heart? Where I am full of an impure conscience rather than a 
clean conscience, where I am where I am just walking in a fake faith or a false faith rather than a sincere faith. Would you pray that prayer with me? Do you have the guts to go there with me? Or will you ignore this? Which will you do? Because I can't force you to do that, and I can't force me to do that. All I can do is argue for it passionately. Maybe some of you here uh, now who are probably tuning me out. Rather we talk about something else that's more lighthearted. In your mind, you're tired of hearing about sin. Don't have any desire to dig into these things. I'll leave you with a final warning at the very end. If you aren't willing to listen, if you don't want to talk about sin, then can I just make this bold statement to you? You don't. You don't really want to talk about Jesus. Listen, you may want to talk about Jesus when he appears to your rights in our, in our American culture as an American citizen, right? You might want to do that. You might want to talk about Jesus when he hangs out with sinners and gets under the religious leader's skin. Now, you may want to talk about Jesus when he flips over tables in the temple because that story always seems to justify Christian anger, right? You may want to talk about Jesus uh, when he's a great example of what it looks like to live a moral life so that you can help yourself live better and have your best life now. That might be places you want to talk about Jesus, but can I just tell you, that's not the kind of Jesus conversation I'm about having. And I don't think that's the kind of Jesus conversation that Paul is having with the Ephesian church or its pastor, Timothy. I don't think so. Be honest, if those are the conversations that dominate your conversations about Jesus, then I struggle to wonder whether you actually know him at all. You might know things about him, but the question is, do you know him? Do you know him intimately? Have you experienced his love for you? And are you so thirsty and hungry for more of him that you can't stop but pursue him? Because that would be the evidence of the Holy Spirit working deep inside of you. Jesus that I know is the Jesus that starts by accepting right where you are at. And then in him, as he accepts you, you see a picture of who you were meant to be. And at the same time, you see how you have fallen. And you also see how far he went to pick you back up again. That's the message of the gospel put in the simplest terms. If that doesn't create want to inside of your heart, the Holy Spirit hasn't begun a work inside of you yet. Pray. Pray that you would not leave here in the same place that you came. I believe that we need to take radical steps to confront the false teacher that lives inside of every one of us with the message of the gospel. So I just want to invite you to hear the message of the gospel afresh one more time before we close. God created you and I to be perfectly in love with him. Going back to the four categories that Paul said was his aim. God created you and I to be perfectly in love with him and to have hearts that were on fire with affection for him. To have consciences that are perfectly devoted and, and completely assumed with him and, and to perfectly and to perfectly trust that he is all that we need. 
That's how God created us. We fall short of that standard every day, don't we? This is the reality. And listen, if the topic of sin makes you uncomfortable, or it makes you bored, or it makes you want to check out, you won't have any desire for the true Jesus. You won't want him at all because you won't be bad enough to want him. You'll be just good enough to save yourself. And that's the, the false gospel underneath all of them, that you could save yourself through all of your good works. What you'll want is you'll want Jesus plus something else. So let me ask you, do you want Jesus today? Because here's the thing, your lack of want to when it comes to Jesus is the reason he died on the cross. It's the reason that he rose again on the third day. He died to pay the price for your war crimes. He died to wash you clean of your sins. And he rose again on the third day. You could live each and every day in freedom from your boredom and freedom from your overworking and freedom from your complacency and freedom from your lack of love and freedom from your filthiness, freedom from you fill in the blank. Freedom from that is why he died. You could glorify him. This is the Jesus that we worship. This is the Jesus that we serve. This is, this is the Jesus that loves you more than you could ever imagine. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the message of the gospel. This truth that you created us to be with you and to be just like you and to um, be a mirror image of you. And then sin entered in and we rebelled and ran away from you. And in our running away from you and in our not desiring you, you came for the joy that was set before you and you endured a horrifying cross where your blood was shed and your body was broken on our behalf and you were laid in a tomb and then rose again three days later in power and in victory over Satan's sin in the grave. And it is that that we celebrate today. That in our brokenness, you came, you rescued us. Now, Father, I pray that if there is anybody here who has been walking away from you, not walking with you, God, that you would come and do what I am totally unable to do, and that is to give them brand new hearts and help them to trust in you. Father, I beg you to help them to see their worthlessness without you. Help them to see their worth in you. Trust you to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. As we close. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.